Welcome to Terror Talk. Before we start the show today, I wanted to give you a heads up about our Patreon community. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron and join our Discord community, where we watch film together and chat daily. You also have early access to our episodes and a mini-cast that we do exclusively for Patreon members. Also, check out our new website at terrortalkpodcast.com. Follow along as we build it together. Most of all, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. You put yourself together real nicely right when you hit the record button. <laughs> She's referring to the fact that I was making funny sounds mm-hmm. before I pressed the big red button. That is true. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the film Misery from 1990, starring Kathy Bateman. It's part of our female psychopath Kathy Bates. Bates Bateman. You were just talking about Patrick Bateman. It's because we just recorded last week's episode, Mm -hmm. which was Patrick Bateman. So sorry. Uh, Kathy Bates, directed by Rob Reiner. The book was written by Stephen King and the screenplay by William Goldman, very famous screenwriter. James Caan, Kathy Bates, Richard Farnsworth even, who is delightful. I love him in this movie. Anyway. So, Misery is from 1990, an hour and 47 minutes long. It's a drama thriller. And after a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels, he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. Uh, To say the least. Yeah. When this movie first came out, this is another movie that sort of launched Kathy Bates in the American, I think she was a very famous theater actor before that, but I feel like this was her big, big movie. Mm -hmm. Do you remember it that way? I kind of remember it that way. I mean, I grew up with the fried green tomatoes, Kathy Bates. Oh, love that movie. Yeah. Not this movie. um, I... I, I've said this to you before. But also very much an ensemble cast, and she wasn't the star. No. So, I mean, she was a star of part of it, but uh, there was a lot of more people. Yeah, there. and I think this is also what got her, like, the American Horror Story roles yes. and things like that, is just because, you know, we all flash back to Annie Wilkes. Well, and Fried Green Tomatoes was 1991, and this movie is 1990. So I feel like... Oh, yeah, around so, the same time. So this, yeah. this, this was the first thing I, I saw, mm-hmm. um, and Fried Green Tomatoes became one of my very favorite movies ever. So I think I saw Misery after you must have seen it after i think i saw it after so you're remembering your own chronology maybe which makes makes sense that's how we all do it it was a while ago (laughs) the 90s were a little blurry for kathy i will say this and i've said this before when we've talked about this uh i think in the first season i i'm not a huge fan of this movie i think that she does a really good job i'm just annoyed by both of them (laughs) i don't like her i don't like him the movie is I don't really even know how to articulate it. It just kind of bores me. Okay. No, and I understand. I I had I was a huge Stephen King fan um, at, during this time, so I yeah. had read the book first and all of yeah, that. So, yeah. So I had I a see little the bit book of a, being really good. It, it, it was. Yeah. Um. I mean, in in light of all the other books I read of his, now I don't know where it would rank. I mean, I could figure that out in my head at some point, but it was. I certainly enjoyed the book, mm-hmm. and. There's something about the violence in the book that is very violent. <laughs> and on screen, I I couldn't really figure out how they were going to do that. Like, I really just was like, how? So they had to leave a lot out. Almost like with It, 
right? Like the yeah. first time they did it. And then when they redid it, they included some more of, I know they've still left stuff out, but, yeah. but the, yeah. there was a lot of violence in the book. Okay. And that made it very, that made it all very palpable. You, you very much were in James Conn's, you know, Paul Sheldon, the author who's been abducted. Uh, you were very much on his side and, you know, you were in it, like we're being abused, you know, yeah, you, and you I, were in that character. What's interesting is I really like James Caan a lot mm-hmm. and I love Kathy Bates mm-hmm. and I don't know what it was about their dynamic that I didn't like. It was a weird casting for me. Oh, okay. So maybe know. it was part of the casting, but maybe it was partly this. So let's talk a little bit about um, Annie Wilkes, which is who Kathy Bates plays. Let's talk a little bit about her psychology because there's a lot of stuff there. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's very apparent is that she's delusional. For sure. So very quickly you realize that she has a uh, a volatile, blaming, explosive, threatening <laughs> demeanor. Mm-hmm. Largely based, I think, on the fact that she's delusional and she has no boundaries. She crosses every boundary like every time she wants something she thinks she's entitled to it and then she creates some fiction in her mind around what she should have or get she puts him on a narcissistic pedestal Mm -hmm. Uh, so you can see some narcissism but you could also go the direction of a borderline condition of like the i love you i hate you right because she's so volatile she believes she's doing it for God at one point. <laughs> well, I was going to say the delusional, it's hard to differentiate, but I, um, it is. there's delusional stuff in there, but I also feel there's like a schizoid quality about her as well, Entirely which possible. is where the, some mm-hmm. of the really odd thinking and even the words that she uses are very childish. And yeah, she's funny because she's like really moralistic. Yeah. But then at the end when she's really, really angry, she starts cursing at him and yeah. she's a total racist. She uses like, weird words yeah. and different things. So it's that, it's that, well, that happens a lot. <laughs> we see that a lot where people are bring God out and trot God out as their cover for being quite bad people. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where she goes, but you, you can imagine that her childhood was quite rigid and probably moralistic and she was punished and mm-hmm. probably hurt and all of that. And so she's just like projecting that all out. But I mean, we don't, know any of that in the movie right um there's a uh, so the other part of the well i don't know if you wanted to talk more about the the borderline or narcissism or no i mean she's a mess i mean she's she's literally like a a cluster b mess you know and then um you have the clearly you have the borderline in there um but then there's there's obsessive compulsive traits in there and uh, schizotypal, you know, she's feels so uh, offended and misunderstood and um, like, and it's sometimes even hard to differentiate how much is the schizotypal from the borderline when it comes to really like not wanting to be close yet still like being pretty much a celebrity stalker and, mm-hmm. and that is where the narcissistic pedestal comes mm-hmm. in. So, I mean, it's just a really mishmash, like she's, like all these different parts. She's like a Frankenstein of cluster B. Yeah. It's, you know, not diagnosable obviously in the strict Mm -mm. sense because you know, as most movies do, as we talk about all the time, there's all kinds of license, dramatic license that has to be taken for the story. Yeah. And that's 
in my opinion, that's fine. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. what they do. It generally holds together better if if they don't take a ton of license. Mm -hmm. If they are sort of more strict to how humans are, interact and are diagnosed and stuff. I find those movies end up, generally speaking, in my opinion, being more coherent, more understandable, mm -hmm. uh, better written, because the characters will interact as if they are real people. Mm -hmm. So if you if you stay in line with strict, more strict, like malignant narcissistic traits or more uh, more common, let's put it that way, not strict, more common borderline traits of what we find in actual people and in the literature and in the research, you'll find that when those two people come together and you're working from a psychological perspective, the story will hold together better because the motivations will be clearer. The the interactions will feel more congruent. You'll be like, oh, I know a guy like that or oh, mm -hmm. I know a girl like that because you're, you'll be pulling from your own fund of knowledge or mm -hmm. oh, my mom's like that or oh, my sister's is like that. Right. And, and so they hold together better. And so maybe part of one of the reasons why it's not, it doesn't work for you in general is because, is because of that. She's like because kind of it's all a over mismatch. the place. Yeah. Because, because it's like, yeah. well, it doesn't quite, it's not so much that you would be able to say like, oh, that's not psychologically sound. It would be more like, ah, it doesn't kind of hold together for me. It doesn't. Like, yeah. And, and maybe that's part, maybe that's part and of And I why. know she got a lot of praise for her performance and everything like that, but I, it, um, and she, again, like, I don't know, I have this love-hate relationship with it because I do appreciate her in it and I appreciate um, her acting, but I, I, it's not a movie that I've ever thought was, like, that fantastic. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't go that direction either with yeah. it, but I, I do think it's worth a discussion because of how crazy she is. She's and nutty. She's certainly on the list of, you know... She's on every list of, you know, top female psychopaths in the movies. Mm -hmm. So if we're doing a series on female psychopaths, you got to talk about, you know, Annie Wilkes. I think that I'm crazy. <laughs> she is crazy, but there's also such few that are, I mean, I don't know. They, we've talked about this before um, with For Your Love of Mary Shelley. Like there's so few people who have been able to get it right. I feel the same way with female psychopaths. It's like. There's so few that are remarkable because one, there's much fewer than we see with men. And two, anytime we, I don't know, just go to the extremes with women, like there's something really enticing about like, I don't know, watching a woman sort of at the end of her, I, I don't see what everyone sees. In this movie? In her performance. Okay. As being wonderful. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it was, maybe it was a time... When we hadn't, we hadn't seen it that much, I mean, 1990. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, that, that we have a, I, I mean, I think we have to give it a little bit of a pass because we have a lot to compare it to now mm -hmm. as far as female psychopathy has mm -hmm. been portrayed a lot. I mean, we're doing a series and we could go on doing this series for a while. There's a lot more. Yeah. So that would not have been the case in 1990. Like what if, if we were, you know, yeah. there just wouldn't have been that many to choose from movies. Right. Yeah. Or stories. Now, maybe this... Go ahead. I think no, no, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Maybe this is one thing that might help us out a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it will just completely confuse us. So there became a part in this movie where I was... I thought... I was surprised she didn't have a Paul Sheldon cult. Mm. Because what I started to see from my vantage point that I, of course, did not see in 1990 is that she had a ton of cult leader qualities. 
And then that started to make more sense to me when I was, but she just didn't have a cult. <laughs> right. So forced dependence, you know, and violence coupled together to try and create um, dependence and love and all of that. So it wasn't working on Paul, but if she had had a, if she had picked a victim or multiple victims that were Paul Sheldon's fans and were in line with what she was thinking and then gave them a forced dependent situation where they had to rely on her and could be indoctrinated into the Paul Sheldon cult, then you would have a, that would have worked that coupling of violence and forced dependence and dogmatic belief, mm-hmm. right? That's like cult leader mixture right mm-hmm. there. And so there was the feeling of that. She would have been a great cult leader. Annie, <laughs> she was extremely controlling. They always are. Cult yeah. leaders are always very, very controlling. They just do it with this facade of charming behavior, which she was able to keep up for a, a little bit until there was violence and obsession, because mm-hmm. I think obsession and OCD and all of the other stuff that she seemed to be struggling with were coming in mm-hmm. and, and, and forced out any kind of uh, the mask that she would have needed for, for cult leadership. But she certainly had the wanting the forced dependence and the violence and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the shame-based narcissistic rage that was coming oh, out boy. is almost always in that, mm-hmm. in the cult leader piece of mm-hmm. things with the violence, et cetera. Um, and obviously the externalizing blame and, and then, and then towards the end it was, I'm going to kill when she was fully, fully delusional <laughs> or whatever that was, whatever that was that was happening at the end, whatever we want to call it. Um, she was doing the I'm going to kill myself and then I'm going to you're going to kill yourself thing, which is a totally yeah, typical murder suicide mm-hmm. cult like we can't go on without each other kind of situation. And then I reflected back on like the volatile behavior and the delusions. Of course, all cult leaders are delusional mm-hmm. on some level and God complex and yeah, narcissistic, narcissistic and all that. And I just sort of like started to flash back and go like, oh, it's more like culty. Yeah. <laughs> and I had never seen misery that way. I don't know what you think about that. But. No, I mean, I, I totally get that. He certainly did not. Um, he was not susceptible to it. Uh, he nope. he was where she know. was doing all the things, though. Yeah, she was. And then when he was playing along with it, then she would she was better. Right. You know, so. So that was, I felt like as a character, that was what she was after, Mm -hmm. was having a follower Mm -hmm. in the person that she loves, which Mm -hmm. is just so bizarre. I think she had also become so immersed in, and she she was so immersed in his writing Mm. that his world became very real to her. Mm -hmm. You know, she names her pig after the character. And so then ironically... He mm-hmm. ends up at her house and it's like she, he becomes the vehicle to where she now really can become this fantasy now, which is already a reality to her, can become much more real because she's driving the car. Right. Um, she's saying this is how I need it to play out. And that's where I think some of the more like um, like schizoid sort of personality stuff comes in and the delusional stuff is 
she was so secluded and isolated and and she had created this world through his writing and now she has him in the house and she's like I get to write this fucking story. Um, this has literally become my world and I get to d- dictate it now. Um, so I think there was that too. And he just becomes this puppet, but because he's been writing about people like her for so long or whatever, that I think that's where maybe Stephen King was like, he's going to be the type that's going to want to survive and knows how to manipulate because he writes you know, he's done the the work, but I don't know. So I saw it, I saw it that way too, where it was like, this is her perfect opportunity to now, um, write, write it the way she wants it to be written. Right. (coughs) Excuse me. I guess I'd be curious if you maybe could explicate a little bit of like more what the schizoid part of it is just for, we don't talk about that. Yeah. So schizoid, so there's two, um, there's two, there's, they get confused. They, they get confused with one another, but they're schizoid and they're schizotypal. Schizoid is is more characterized by social isolation for one, feelings of indifference towards other people, which obviously she had feelings towards him. But again, I don't know if it was that she had feelings towards him or feelings towards needing that story to be, because she was obsessed, I guess, but she was also obsessed with controlling him and that outcome and being obsessed with the world that he brought her. I still think she was more obsessed with his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are people who don't necessarily enjoy close relationships, even with family. They're often seen as loners. They might be emotionally cold and detached. Um, so I, I don't think she has the full diagnosis, but I think there's certainly parts of her life that meet traits of schizoid personality disorder and i'm still not yet convinced that she's her love affair is with him Mm -hmm. as much it is as it is with this world that he's created yeah i believe that what she's in love with is that main character right and that she is project her delusion is that she is the main character and that she's the main character quote-unquote in his story and that that's how she falls in love with him obviously in, in the duration of the story <coughs> and that she, yeah, she wants to and be misery. The, the character. That's right. Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the misunderstandings too, about schizoid personality disorder, it's not so much that they, there's an indifference there because there's a, just like with all personality disorders, there's a defense. So, uh, it's become this protective factor, right? If we're looking at this clinically, um, so a fantasy world or a fantasy relationship would be incredibly safe and one that she could dictate and manipulate and um, navigate. So that's where I feel like he's sort of this puppet. He's this vehicle, but I don't know if she's really obsessed with him. I I do. I do believe that's shown in the film. Like there is, if you look at it, more seriously than just a, a horror film that's got a more surface meaning. Like if you do look a little bit at her yeah. and at the depth of her character, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious that she, the surface is that she's in love with him and the delusion, et cetera, but that, that she's really just wants that story to be the way it is because she needs it to For be sure. a certain way. And she yeah. needs to misery to live because she needs to live. Right. And she needs to have a happy ending and she needs to live through misery. And if misery dies in the story, then she's got nothing to live for and et cetera, on and on and on, yep. which is a total collapse of everything. So then, so there's that. And then 
we talked about the borderline traits are more like the volatility, the rage, the attachments, obviously, mm-hmm. little issue. And then the narcissism too. It's like the um, the god complex, the 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 forced dependence, uh, all that stuff is the more narcissist. So like that's kind of what we're saying about the cluster B. Now you could say too, you know, most people with schizoid will have a restricted range of affect or emotional expression, Usually, but she really didn't have, uh, there was rage mm-hmm. and not much else. <laughs> like there was that calmness, you know, there was like a placid, yeah. uh, like a doe eyed 10 year old yep. kind of thing going like a childlike presence. Yeah. Paul, you know, when she mm-hmm. would get really doughy with mm-hmm. him, <laughs> like the celebrity crush. Yeah. The celebrity crush. But it was very childlike. It wasn't seductive. No. You know how a lot of times in that situation you would maybe see someone portrayed as seductive and trying to well, seduce even, him. Even his face would react sometimes like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> oh, she's awful. Yeah, she's terrible. Or, oh, no, she's like, what is she doing right now? Because it did feel very childlike, which yeah. to to a healthy adult male would feel very awful. Yes, because you're interacting with someone with this very young psyche and you just right. realize how damaged right. she is in those moments when she's portraying that kind of thing. You know, I read that Jack Nicholson was offered this part. but God, that, I, just, I can't picture him playing No, I can't role. either. But of course, one of the things that I read was that, you know, he turned it down or, and maybe they didn't even get past initial talks. I don't know, but he turned it down because, you know, he had done The Shining and he didn't really want to do another Stephen King novel at the time. Makes I imagine sense. just career-wise. Yeah, makes sense. There's some other interesting stories about James Caan showing up hungover and, you know, oh, really? whole days of shooting were, were put away oh, in a God. can somewhere. Um, but, you know, he felt bad and offered to cover for the day money-wise and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, people make mistakes. Yeah. I don't know what was going on for him yeah. at the time, but Paul, Paul. And then I also was looking at some more trivia and it was talking about how Stephen King was so impressed with Kathy Bates performance. Mm-hmm. Again, there wasn't a lot of no strong female leads at 1990 that didn't look like Sharon Stone. That's right. So there was a lot to love about Kathy Bates in the culture of movies. For sure. At the time. And that so. a woman of her, you know, like you said, because she doesn't look like Sharon Stone, that they would cast her in such a powerful role. Absolutely. And that speaks to how talented she was and is, in my opinion. But yeah, Stephen King liked her so much that he wrote a couple more roles for her. Uh, the title role in Dolores Claiborne, that novel, mm. was written with her in mind. Okay, And then um, the when he wrote uh, the TV miniseries for The Stand, uh, there was a part in that that he thought about her for. So, I mean, it was as much as we don't see it now as a standout performance necessarily. Um, and again, looking back 30 years ago, plus, 30 plus years ago. Do you, how did, how did you, because I didn't even ask you how you thought about her performance. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I I guess I don't have a problem with it. At like, I mean, I don't, I'm not reacting it to it in yeah. the same way that you did. I enjoy the movie. I, the hobbling scene where she reels back the 
thing she's about to break his ankles with. Yeah. That never gets any easier to watch. No. I always close my eyes. <laughs> there was one time when I actually, because I was reading some behind the scenes stuff about it because I'm a film nerd and it wasn't even for this episode. It was some other time <laughs> that I was reading stuff about this movie is that, uh, you know, how they shot that scene and the different things they did and how they had to put like these fake feet up through the bed. Yeah, and his legs I think I read that too. And all yeah. that. So I did want to watch, I did want to actually watch the scene and then kind of go frame by frame right at the moment when she hits his ankle because mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to see how much they, they left in. And again, mm-hmm. this was several months ago. I didn't do it for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and they show a little bit of the ankle going. Because, you know, it's a fake foot and stuff, but like they show a little bit of the ankle going. So they give you just enough that you're even in those splits frames, those split seconds, your brain sees the ankle break. Yeah. It never gets any easier to watch that scene. But I will tell you guys, read the book. Yeah, I heard the book is awesome. awful. (laughs) Like those scenes are brutal. And what happens to him is awful yeah and it's not the only book king has obviously written about this kind of captivity thing we watched a movie recently about Mm -hmm. the same thing but like oh read the book yeah i mean watch the movie but read the book because it's pretty if you like horror it's a good one it's a good one um but i enjoyed the movie i enjoyed the performances i i i did enjoy it i love his face when he pours the the poison into the wine and yeah. then she you know she knocks oh it God. over he's, he's like, like what mm. his, his i will say his facial expressions and some of the scenes where she's just annoying the shit out of him yeah. or he doesn't he doesn't get what he needs in that moment he's hilarious he's really i think he's really good in it I also am aware that all of his acting had to be done in his face. Yep. I mean, there's a few scenes where he's crawling around and trying to get out of bed and doing different stuff, but there mm-hmm. are lots and lots and lots of, he's a true movie actor. Yeah. He's a true film star because you have to be able to do these the expressions and the subtleties mm-hmm. on camera. Otherwise you just look campy. Yeah. Like you, when people go from theater to film, it's like, you can't be that big. Yes. Yeah. And and the good ones know that, and so they mm-hmm. they act for film, and it's just a, it's just a different skill. It's a mm-hmm. really different skill. So he's a true he's a true you know film star for sure, yeah. a movie star because he he does so much of that. Of course, when I'm watching it, I'm flashing on The Godfather, and I'm like seeing him in all these other roles. But yeah. I thought he was really good. But as far as psychologically speaking, it's all over the place. Yeah, but big for its time. We we didn't really say she's a psychopath. I mean, clearly she's sadomasochist, so okay. I I would say that there's traits there for sure. Okay, because you know, yeah. female psychopath series. Maybe we have to sort of say. I mean, or I, not. I I I don't know what else that would be. Right. right. I mean, it, I think the accumulation of all that other stuff, but th- I don't think that other stuff would cause the sadomasochism to the to the degree to the violent degree. Yeah. To the non-consensual violent degree. Because she wasn't, there wasn't anything delusional about those moments. She knew exactly what she didn't think she was, you know, when we're thinking about insanity or, you know, these are people who think harm is happening to them. She clearly knew he was, she was in the control seat there. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing delusional about her sadism Mm -hmm. towards him. Like the fact that she enjoyed it. 
she enjoyed it. There was no, she, she wasn't at risk of getting harmed. She wasn't, it wasn't self-defense. It wasn't, oh my God, I see an animal eating your leg and I have to chop it off. I mean, there was no hallucination. So Mm -hmm. that's where, to me, that's incredibly psychopathic. Okay. Well, there you have it. Now we know. Thank you guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah. For listening to the show. Please, you know, check out our shrink chat show that happens on Fridays. It's a bit looser. Come back next week for Terror Talk as well. Thanks so much for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, Sleep safe.